What would his Bond title be then? What would be his movie title? No Time um, to Swim? I don't know. Anything better than... I like No Time to Swim. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's better than... What was it? Octopussy? No Time to Swim. I, I feel yeah. like the equivalent... The, yeah, No Time to Swim is like the artsy title. Like the equivalent of Octopussy would be if you just like called it Dick Sword or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Did we do a trigger warning for this one? It's almost impossible to like describe the content at all. Indeed, this episode will deal with graphic violence and sexual violence specifically. We sort of joked about this in the introduction to the last episode because it does seem that these two texts have just about everything outrageous and vile and offensive and potentially traumatic that I could imagine. So I'll hope you bear with us if we deal with this material occasionally through attempts at humor. But if these kinds of discussions are not going to work for you, then please be warned, you may want to skip this particular installment. (laughs) We see a close-up of a man's face. It could be the face of my great-grandfather or his father. Eyes shaded by a hat, a strong nose, and a thick beard. The palette is all brown and gray and olive, the colors of the soil itself. His coat is hooked on his finger and slung over his shoulder. Below his vest, his other hand grips the waist of his trousers. He is at the front of a crowd, and as the camera zooms out from the canvas, we see a woman to one side and an old man to the other. She holds a toddler by the belly and looks at the man gesturing with her free hand as if to ask, why must we march? Beyond her, another man holds both hands out. He has nothing but questions. The old man's shirt is unbuttoned to his waist. He is hot and tired. The hands gesture everywhere, asking for something, whether for food or for answers or for power. A silent painting shows a crowd in a moving conversation barely held below a chatter. They all move together, just as the tiny dots that make up the picture we see. Dots of paint on the canvas, or dots of light on the screen. Little bursts of energy doing the work of a larger thing. The hands that work together, or fight, or hang outstretched and questioning. Painting of a hundred twenty years ago asks what the workers will do, what future they will move into when they all march together. Achieve your weapons. We never speak for what we really are. Welcome to the pointless century, where we discuss history, culture, and politics in an attempt to understand what modernism was, what the 20th century meant, and whether they even mattered. I'm Frank Fucile, and I'm joined, as always, by my brave and patient student research assistants, Anna Wendorf and Rachel Holloway. continuing our discussion of Filippo Tommaso Marinetti's proto-fascist novel Mafarca the Futurist and Bernardo Bertolucci's anti-fascist epic 1900 or Novecento. 
physical and sexual violence, trying to figure out what people even mean when they say socialism, mulling over the question of how to accurately represent history. As always, we'll be talking about the world wars, and inevitably, fascism. Red Mafarka, if I'm remembering correctly, based on the fact that I said that it was like the most offensive book ever published. Oh, yes. And, yeah, and we, Anna was we, like, I'm going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, cat joke, curiosity killed it. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> was it all you hoped it would be? Uh, I, I didn't know what my hopes were, but they were crushed yet met in some I <laughs> I don't know <laughs> for for a book that pushes so many buttons it's amazing how boring it is yeah I think you get um, that with a lot of this type of literature yeah uh, so especially I mean, that first chapter it seems like things really are progressing but the one the one characteristic I really did appreciate is just his style of writing like his style of description I think it's really unique based on the other things that I've read it's yeah. so intense yeah it is very intense some have compared it to Denunzio's style of writing but I'm not greatly familiar with Denunzio obviously Marinetti would have been insulted by that comparison oh yeah you can't trust him yep, because yep. he's the kind of guy who writes this book <laughs> I think he's probably intensifying it even more than you'd get in a poet like D'Annunzio. Mm -hmm. And and I see it as uh, an outgrowth of that decadentism, that driving everything to the extreme. And also that Orientalism, that look how weird these people in North Africa mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of getting out of it, or at least trying to get out of it by presenting it in this place and time that are obviously imaginary. I mean, I don't know what people who read it would have thought, but- uh, You were I angry enough to take him to court. I know that. Yes, yes. I don't imagine that a, a sane person reading this would think that anybody was trying to say this was what North Africa actually is like. But then again, it's hard for me to plumb the depths of uh, racism in, in 1909. There are so many other things, especially by the time you get to the end of the novel, it's like, okay, obviously we're reading fantasy here, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Rachel, you're, you're right to mention it, that, that he actually was taken to court. The book is banned for a year and published yeah, in the first chapter. France. There's plenty of other <laughs> bad stuff later on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first chapter is uh, first chapter is pretty outrageous. Yeah. Why yeah. do you start with the hard stuff? Get people ready for it. Does a futurist do foreplay? Uh, <laughs> no. The the futurist <laughs> titles the first chapter of his first novel, "The Rape of the Negresses." You guys are gonna hate me for this, but he comes out with a bang. No, I don't. I don't hate you for that. Yeah. <laughs> that's not funny I stop. no it's great no, it's funny stop it's laughing it's great there's certainly an aspect of this that is like even if you don't actually read this book marinade is not going to pass up a chance to offend you that's the whole gig i think there is something very futuristic about that even in an era when people did have time to read novels most of the futurists did shorter stuff poems or plays this is probably not the only futurist novel but there weren't a lot of futurist novels you got to pack a punch in that first chapter just in case that's the only thing anybody reads 
he wants it to be about war. He wants it to be about colonialism. He wants it to be about sexual violence. To think of the, you know, centuries of work produced by men where they are writing rapes and bending over backwards to not describe it as rape. Marinetti goes out there and is like, we are going to capture slaves in war and rape them. That's the way he wants to present it. And also, in, and also that can be taken as, even in the way that he structures the book, it's still all about power. It's completely about power. And that's why I said that it, it obviously owes a lot to Nietzsche because it is about this will to power. It's about a person who is a god or a man who becomes a god through sheer force of will on the battlefield or eventually in a sort of metaphysical sense, in a technological sense. I love that scene. The chapter is called The Belly of the Whale, where he's like a straight up Bond villain. Here we have this gigantic aquarium and I have let the ravenous fish in. He introduces them to the space. He, he springs the surprise on them. He describes what their death is going to be. Like, he's a fucking Bond villain. Only he's well, the hero of the story. Well, if, I mean, if you feed someone to a shark, I feel like that's pretty Bond. Yeah. Be like, oh, let's have dinner. Yeah, Please. they're eating the dinner as the sharks are feeding. It's wild. Yes. It's wild. Yeah, yeah and, on, and aren't they feeding on those two girls? Were they girls or were they? I thought they were. I the, thought they were men. The men who I'm, had betrayed his brother, right? Yeah, both men were naked um, as they died. Quote: Two virgin belly dancers are brought into Mafarka for entertainment. Unquote. And like he feeds them to there because he's like, um. He, he he asked them to turn out the lights and he kind of wanted them to seduce him and then that way he could kill them. Because yeah, he's right. always, always about like killing girls that are trying to seduce you're, him. You're absolutely right. It's both and. The belly dancers are the appetizer for the main course of the vendetta. <laughs> There's a question we could get back into here in terms of like how Italian is all this shit because um, <laughs> the Latin term for the the short sword that the Roman soldier would use was gladius, mm -hmm. gladius like gladiator, etc. Yeah. But also that term gladius would be used as the term for penis too. Uh, oh. Now I'm hardly an expert in Latin. They probably had another technical term for it, like to make sure that you could distinguish between the two. The key thing here is that that Roman short sword is a is a thrusting weapon. I mean, like in a pinch you could slash with it, but it wasn't like made to slash. It was a thrusting weapon. So okay, you use the same okay. term for penis. Yep. To what? <laughs> to what extent do we think that that ends up representing or determining? a uh, cultural attitude potentially carried over for thousands of years about what what war means, what sex is. It's all uh, about manhood and masculinity. But clearly Marinetti and Denuncia as well, and, and one might say all fascists, and one might say all misogynists, straight up compress violence and sex down into being the same thing. Mm -hmm. Well, because they're in the same vein. Like I said, it all comes back through power yeah. and you can dwell easily on, on the power found in both of those things and that leads to places 
Well, if we take the standard line that we'd say these days, and I don't even know if I want to describe it as a feminist position, it's just a mainstream position at this point in terms of our understanding of sex and violence, you'd say rape is not about sex, rape is about power. That's our standard line that we take, right? To which Marinetti says, Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because to, to Marinetti, sex is about power too. So, they, so it is all the same thing. And we see D'Annunzio going down that same road. I'm tempted to say that that is the road that starts with the oppression of women and ends with the oppression of everybody who's not exactly up to your specific sense of who the ideal fetishist is. There's just like so many things packed into penises here. Just in general with manlyhood, like if you chop off a man's zeb, you like take away his power and what shows his strength and how he vanquishes his enemies. Like it is a sword. It's how they assert their dominance. It's all with the penis. It is. I'm gonna leave. hopefully, hopefully not always, but certainly in our examples that we have here. Certainly here, like you'd be the laughing stock of anything if you had your member dismembered. I wonder how much of this is Marinetti saying, this is how the world is. This is how the world has been. I've seen this. I know this. You know this too. I'm going to say it. Because when I, again, when I think about the kinds of stuff that D'Annunzio is writing, it's really in that same direction. Perhaps for the people of the era, there were more like nuances between like the styles and types of rape. (laughs) <laughs> for us looking back on it a hundred years later it's like man y'all were really rapey and we see the same thing well it's not exactly the same thing but we see we see hints of that for sure sometimes less hints and more we see the thing but 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 mainly hints in in novacento where bertolucci is recalling this earlier period and i'm thinking to myself i've read octavia butler's kindred for instance i used to teach kindred every semester in fact uh, and it's not obviously the only the only work in this vein um, about uh, American slavery and uh, about the the rape of enslaved women. But uh, it's just the one that comes to mind most obviously as this cultural touchstone that I'm so familiar with. And when I think of that, I think that like obviously in a rural uh, agrarian quasi feudal economy like. Italy, it's not going to be the same thing as in a chattel slavery economy. But at the same time, there's a lot of similar things going on. And you see that in D'Annunzio's life where he grew up as that golden boy, like sure that he, he could have any woman. And if she didn't want him, well, then he'd, you know, take her. And we see that in Novacento uh, with Dalco Omo, who is the bastard son of one of uh, Leo's granddaughters were never told who his father is and in the four-hour version i never really thought too hard about who his father was i feel like in the five hour 15 minute version it's obvious who his father was did did we know that isn't it uh alfredo jr's dad 
I think it's Alfredo Jr.'s granddad. I think it's the old Alfredo. Alfredo Sr.? The guy who ends up hanging himself in the uh, milk barn after forcing the milkmaid to touch his flaccid penis. Mm -hmm. And he's, up until this point, a character who seems to be relatively more with it and less obviously evil than the other aristocrats that we've seen. But in that scene, it becomes really obvious that what he's doing there is like, I would, you know, rape you right now, but I can't because I can't get it up anymore. So I'm going to make you touch my dick and then I'm going to hang myself. Is that not what's happening in that scene? No, that's exactly what's happening. Okay. That's exactly. But she, she, she didn't know that she was doing it, but she burned him. You can't milk a bowl. I'm watching that for the first time. I, I was honestly preparing myself for yeah. her to be raped. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, no, God, no. Especially after Mafarka. <sighs> yeah. That spins it in this way where, as a viewer, you then are put in a position where you're like, well, he didn't rape her, but they, like you're, they're almost thankful that he didn't rape her. Like, oh yeah, such a good guy. He didn't rape the, the milkmaid. But the implication is obviously that that's what he used to do. That's what he was always doing. And that's what everybody in his position was doing. They didn't have Viagra. <laughs> Sorry. No, maybe, not maybe right. we'd all Maybe we'd all be better off if dudes like that just hung themselves instead of taking Viagra. Oh, no, that's not... <laughs> But if we think about that place where 1900, where Novacento starts, that world is a lot more like the world that we hear in Gabriela D'Annunzio's biography, where if you are the child of the richest family in the town, then you're the golden boy and you're born into this position, almost like a prince, like a prince of your own little fiefdom. And everybody is looking to you for like, well, what's he going to do when he takes over? Because inevitably he will. And it gives you a sense of how little had changed, especially these very rural sections of Italy since the Middle Ages, but even realistically since the Roman Empire, because you have the beginnings of feudalism in the collapse of the Roman Empire, and certainly that structure of an aristocracy and a peasantry living in virtual serfdom on the land there. We could say that this is something that's existed going back to ancient times. It's also important to note the way that it's changed, though, because the patrone, the landlords, if you will, in Novacento are clearly capitalists, and they're existing in a structure that's based on rent-seeking, and that's based on labor, and that's based on calculation of profits, and as we see increasingly, is also based on mechanization. So it's not like it's static but at the beginning of the film we do get a sense of what that older economy might have been like and how dynastic this is how familial this is we literally have two families the berlingeris who are the landlords the patrone and the dalcos who are the peasants and we're told that the whole family is is peasants but you know we also get these references to more capitalistic labor practices like day laborers who are brought in and out but you do have this one large extended family that's they're basically kept and we see uh in one of the early on scenes they're in the attic with the silkworms yeah where the young alfredo berlingeri says i own this i own that i own you what a little shit oh my god And he says he's a socialist sometimes, but really... He says he's a socialist. And this is actually the reason why I brought this movie up in the first place. And it it sent us down this whole rabbit hole. (laughs) 
I'm not sure that it necessarily even matters to the Dalcos who Olmo's father is. It's not brought up much after he's a kid. We have that great speech that Sterling Hayden does as Leo. Sterling Hayden is like literally one of my favorite actors of all time. And he is such a fucking cartoon swinging dick too. I just can't get over him. In every movie, he just fucking kills it. It's always like, I am the toughest tough guy, but it's so extreme that it's got to be like with a little bit of a tongue in the cheek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it was just so weird, like when Leo died. With his eyes open. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Like I, like this dude just died here. Aren't you going to do anything more about it? I know your grandson didn't know that you died, but like, aren't you going to make a bigger moment of it? Well, it is a big moment though. So in that moment, and this gets to what I really want to talk about here. In that moment, right before he dies, this is during the big strike. After a long series of conflicts between the peasants and the patrone, and after the elder Alfredo's suicide, his son, Giovanni yeah. Berlingeri, played by Romolo Valli, he's basically the bad patrone. And I think yeah. it's interesting that Bertolucci plays on this because he plays it a couple of different ways. First off, the good patrone, the guy who at first seems to uphold the notion that the traditional feudal system wasn't all that bad because at least there was this sort of tete-a-tete between the elder Alfredo and Leo Dalco, and they, could, they had sort of mutual respect and they knew not to push each other too far. So yeah, sure, there was a conflict between the laborers and the landowners, but uh, there wasn't catastrophe. That's already undermined when we see that actually the one thing that was keeping this guy alive was that he was into uh, the milkmaids. So already we're seeing that like, okay, well, maybe a, a man can be good in some ways and actually really horrible in other ways. And again, it's, it's melodrama. So this passes for complexity. After his death, his son Giovanni takes over and we get then the bad patrone who doesn't understand the symbiosis between the landowners and the peasants who is greedier, who is more aloof, who is always yelling about how he needs to be respected and all that. If you're yelling about how you need to be respected, then that's the first sign that you don't have power. You just feel like you're owed power. And then this extended conflict, which starts with that gut-dropping scene where he yells at the guy, don't you hear me? And he just fucking slices his ear off. Mm -hmm. Just, just dead eye stares in his face and Vincent van Gogh's himself. That was, that was badass. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, and then goes home and eats like this much polenta and they ask him if his ear hurts and he says, it's not too bad now. <laughs> yeah. And you can see, you can see the blood on his neck and it's just, it, ow. <laughs> and so then they decide that they're going to strike. The timeline is weird. Yeah, you have this massive stretch of time between 1901 and 1945. But in the actual narrative sections, we get these long, long sections that are like one day Mm -hmm. and then like another few years and then like one day where like everything fucking happens. Penis envy. Yeah, the bit where I'll show you yours and you show me mine, it, <laughs> it comes right after the bit where I own you. And mm-hmm. and after the literal dick measuring, <laughs> there's a hailstorm and then they go down and it's like the harvest is going to be ruined. And that's when 
they're basically saying, well, we're not going to, we're, we're not going to pay you uh, half as much as we used to pay you because the, the crop's been uh, destroyed. Uh, did you hear me? Did you hear me? Don't talk to me about my fucking ears. <laughs> and then they're all starving. When we see Leo Dalco's death, Sterling Hayden's death, that's during the big strike. The grain is going to seed and the cows are mooing because they haven't been milked. And the fucking landlords go to the harvest with sickles to get the grain. This is after we have this scene where the lady of the house is like, oh, go into town and buy some milk. It's like, why are mm-hmm. buying fucking milk? The cows mm-hmm. are literally mooing because they need to get milked. Mm-hmm. Right? And Leo sits down and he's watching all these rich landowners and lawyers and bankers and yeah, also some scabs harvest the grain. And he says, is this what socialism is? Is this, is this socialism? The landlords harvest the grain and we sit here and watch. <laughs> and then he's just staring out into space, leaning up against the tree. And dumbass Alfredo wanders along and is doing a back and forth with Olmo uh, talking about their dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, does your grandfather always sleep with his eyes open? And Olmo's like, he can do anything. He's my grandfather. He even saw Garibaldi once. You have this connection back to the 19th century, back to that grand uh, moment of the unification of Italy. Garibaldi himself described as a socialist, but I suppose most importantly, a nationalist. Sort of the George Washington of Italy had sort of thrown the kingdom of Italy over to the king of Piedmont and set up the first boot-wide Italian monarchy, if you will. One of my favorite side stories about Garibaldi is that he offered to bring an Italian unit over to fight in the Civil War if Abraham Lincoln would declare that the goal of the Civil War was to abolish slavery. And this was like very early in the war. So Lincoln didn't do it. That's really interesting. Garibaldi is this sort of figure who I think is very much an idealist, but also he's mainly just like a war leader. And the question of what would happen, you know, politically in Italy gets kicked down the road uh, under this monarchy that eventually devolves into fascism, as we'll see in this movie. And then Italy as a workers' republic is founded basically in in the sense that we see at the end of this movie with them collecting collecting the rifles and then they like burn through i don't know 70 something governments in the next 50 years it's ridiculous it's probably worth dropping a note here in post on the odd bedfellows that have been made by this century of italian political history that i breezed through so glibly there For instance, in Garibaldi's era, the mid to late 19th century, the fact that Garibaldi himself was a radical leftist of sorts didn't necessarily mean that he wasn't willing to work with people who called themselves Republicans, who we might categorize as uh, liberal, for instance, these days, or even with monarchists like Victor Emmanuel II, who ended up becoming King of Italy, Uh, having started out as the kingdom of the variety of territories, uh, Piedmont, Sardinia, Savoy. And in large part, that was because the question of mid to late 19th century Europe was the question of establishing representative republics, uh, the question of establishing constitutions at all in the first place. So the political coalitions of the left were Republicans, Socialists, 
liberals, etc., all together against uh, the more absolutist conservative monarchists that you would have seen coming out of the Enlightenment era preceding that. And so there we see already a sort of question of what is leftism, what is socialism, how would we necessarily place Garibaldi's politics? Well, in a certain sense, it's hard to say because the politics of idealism is a politics always of striving for something that one may not have actually had an opportunity to see oneself. We see that same thing in Sterling Hayden's character of Leo Dalco. But Novacento does accurately depict the political situation of especially northern Italy in that period from the turn of the century through the First World War and into the interwar years where communism or socialism or the various forms of leftist workers' movements were extremely popular. And then again, at times, somewhat vague. You would have even rightist tendencies within workers' movements so that, uh, for instance, the syndicalists in many cases ended up going in the direction of fascism rather than socialism in the lead-up to the rise of Mussolini. Mussolini himself did start out his political career as a socialist before moving towards this sort of more rightward-leaning thing that um, in many ways was inspired by a lot of the political ideas that Gabriele D'Annunzio had and, of course, Mussolini's own very militarist ideas developed through his political career during the First World War. And then ultimately, when fascism came to power, as always, it was through a process of playing up a crisis through which the fascists claimed that the communists and socialists needed to be opposed, needed to be stopped. And that was a general strike in 1922. At the end of the Second World War, when the fascist state had sort of withered away to this small rump state that was more or less a puppet of Nazi Germany, Mussolini and his crew were hunted down and captured by communist partisans known as the Garibaldi Brigades. And as the Italian Republic was founded, the communist and socialist parties were extremely popular. However, in the 1948 general election, we see an all-too-common Cold War system set up where the United States used both covert and overt actions, including propaganda and CIA intervention, to back the Christian Democrats, while the Soviet Union was backing the Communist Party, of course. Ultimately, the Christian Democrats won that election, thus continuing the long conflict between the right and left wings in Italian politics, culminating in an era of political violence known as the Years of Lead, which was about the time that this film Novacento was made in the 70s. (laughs) 
Leo Dalco dies at a moment that actually is big, that actually is climactic, but only for him. For the rest of the world, this is nothing because the next thing that's going to happen is the First World War. But for Leo Dalco, it's this one moment where he saw we can achieve something in the strike. We can actually make something happen. And this word that I've used, this word that I've raised my whole family by, I mean, wrap your head around that. Omal Dalco is raised a socialist. He identifies as a socialist before he even understands what that means. Mm -hmm. And one of the most interesting things about this movie to me is that Leo Dalco is also trying to figure out what that means. And he says to himself, maybe this is what socialism is. Like he has a vision, like Moses, right? He can see the promised land. He never makes it there, but he can see it. And he Mm -hmm. sees it in that moment and then dies with his eyes open, looking to the future. The more I think about this movie, the more I fucking love it. (laughs) It is like an absurd, shaggy-ass dog of a fucking movie, too. (laughs) A dog. It is a dog. It is, uh, you call that a fucking script type movie. (laughs) But it does what it needs to do. As weird and as stupid of a movie as it is, I guess it's become like an important part in my life. An important part in the way that I think not about socialism, but but an important part of the way that I think about the way that people perceive history. And that's actually what I really want to get into. I have like 10 more monologues, you know, up my sleeve as usual, uh, but I, I got to throw it to you at, yeah, at least for a minute here. What do we think about, I'm a socialist, I got my hands in my pockets. Oh no. <laughs> I hate you for that. <laughs> See, in the four-hour cut, it isn't as obvious that it's a joke about masturbation, but I still thought it was about masturbation because no, I, I was trying to figure it out. No, I've seen both, and it's like, yeah, it was, it was pretty obvious. When I press play, I'm like, okay, Mom, I'm going to be in my room. I have to watch this um, movie <laughs> for, for my, four hours. <laughs> my discussions, and she was like, wait a minute, it's four hours Everybody long? thinks we're crazy. <laughs> Everybody thinks we're crazy. I mean, there might be some truth to that. So tell us, what, what was different uh, in the short version? Sure. So uh, starting, with the, starting with the holes in the pockets. I Honestly, well, no, we'll get to that. I'm not starting with that. <laughs> <laughs> what was really interesting about the short version is that it's very, uh, how you described it as glossy. I thought that. But then I also thought in comparison to the longer version, it's very... It's not quick, but in comparison, analyzing the events that happen, it's very quick and dirty, you know? Um, they go, the parts that actually make it into the film are the things like the hands in the pockets and the things like, oh my gosh, you would never believe me if I told you that I was a virgin. The interesting thing to me, or the probably the most important, was how much of the, of the actual historical events that matter were cut. Or just shorten. So a um, lot of it was like you're an American and you don't give a shit about Italian history. Right. You you're just That's watching sad. this. Yeah. You're just watching this for a laugh and like, do you really yeah, you don't really care. So like we're not gonna go into detail. The four hour cut was rated R. They did enough to get it rated R and and the five seventeen was rated N C seventeen. But I think they might have backed down on that because now they're I think trying to be more like, well, it's an art movie. Ratings have definitely changed. They've absolutely changed. My take on ratings is that in the 70s, they were very permissive of sexuality. 
and less permissive of violence and now it's flipped over Mm-hmm. but if you're doing italian level shit they were going to throw the book at you no matter what i mean part of understanding bertolucci is that he comes out of this like absolutely nutso phase of italian cinema like this was the movie that he made after last tango in paris and he got fucking sued for last tango in paris and they took away his civil rights i don't understand what that means because i don't understand italian law but basically like he had heavy sanctions upon him they attempted to remove the film from circulation now a lot of people consider last tango to be a classic it's also just like a movie about lots of rape so i don't know what to make of that except that this is a very like gross dirty period of italian cinema one of bertolucci's close friends was uh Bellini, or am i wrong well, Fellini was one of the more respectable of this crew, uh, <laughs> you know, the kind of guy who just like ran with, uh, you know, a few mistresses and whatnot. Bertolucci was actually much closer friends with Pier Paolo Pasolini, uh, who was a notorious weirdo. I think that in his era and for the fact that it was Italy, the fact that he was gay in the first place was was like part of that reputation. But also he was making films with lots of sadomasochistic elements, including Salo, aka the 120 Days of Sodom, which is a sort of fascist horror torture porn classic. The only reason that I don't put it up there with Mafarka for like, well, here's your most offensive novel, here's your most offensive movie, is that like later Italians decided to try and, you know, outdo him with like other shit like uh like Cannibal Holocaust and whatnot. Even that title. Yeah, you have like all sorts of weird subgenres within like the shock slasher movies that end up getting in a certain sense domesticated back into what we see in our horror porn movies in the 21st century, like franchises like Saw and stuff like that, um, which is not good, but it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not like, uh, you know, three hours of rape. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so to, I, just my way of saying that like Italian dudes totally having a normal one. What do we think is meant when uh, Alfredo tells Olmo, I'm a socialist too? He's just sick of how his family is and he doesn't actually know what it means. He wants to live a simpler life like Olmo. Just sheer rebellion. Yeah. I wish I wasn't the patrone. I wish I wasn't in the landlord class. I wish I were a Dalco like you. His only experience of socialism is that like socialism is the thing that the Dalcos do. Capitalism and Catholicism is the thing that the Berlingeris do. Right. He wants to stick his hand in the pocket. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for what, that. What, what is in the pocket? What is in the I pocket when you stick your hand in the pocket? I, I mean, I think that... It's that piece of that's sausage. A, that's a lot. No, Otto wanted so much. I mean, if you really want to analyze it, which is really fun to do with everything. Yes, it's absurd, but it could mean more than that if you want to, you know, just add meaning onto something that maybe wasn't supposed to have meaning in the first place. Everything's supposed to have meaning. And I am yeah. sure that I'm sure that even, even in a movie like this, that seems just like nuts. There's deep, deep meaning in everything. Right. Yeah. So how do you, what's your well, I think unintended? That, I think that when I watched the movie 12 years ago, if I said to myself, like, 
nah, seriously, am I supposed to believe that a hundred years ago, dudes were also back then making jokes about jerking off by cutting the pockets out of there? <laughs> I, I have to imagine that somebody's done that at some point, but also I have to imagine that there are like a million weird high school jokes that I've heard, right? Mm-hmm. And as a, as a dude growing up in high school, like, okay, people don't actually do that, right? Well, okay, now I've seen enough of the world that like ugh, people do that and everything else, like anything that you could imagine people do, sadly, or or wonderfully or whatever. <laughs> people do wonderful things too, but we're not here to talk about them. No, but Anna, what we could also say is we're bubble babies. I'm trying to not be a bubble baby, okay? Who said you're a bubble baby? We're the people that do the right thing. I will confess that I was raised in a bubble. You know, it's the it's the middle of suburbia. It's whitewashed completely. And right. well, nobody told me nobody told me jack shit in high school because my dad was the most favorite teacher. Like, if I'm watching this 12 years ago and I'm thinking to myself, no, no, surely, surely everybody isn't a fucking dirtbag like me because I haven't like met Italian dudes. I'm not like familiar with like Italian dudes in the approximately, you know, 1900s through 1970s. We won't speak of today, but uh, I said, uh, clearly everybody's not like a a dirtbag, like the shitheads that I grew up around who were (laughs) making jokes about uh, cutting uh, their pockets out and jerking off. Surely it must have some other meaning. I thought to myself, well, maybe a socialist puts his hands in his pockets because he's refusing to work. Maybe a socialist who's, saying i'm not gonna harvest that grain a socialist who's saying i'm gonna go out on strike which is something that we've seen them do and that we will see them do is putting his hands in his pocket as a signal i grew up with these stories about the coal mines uh that uh my grandfather my great-grandfather grew up in my great-grandfather would have been uh born uh around the same time as a couple years before uh omo dalco and uh was of course a peasant though in Southern Italy rather than Northern Italy and immigrated to uh, the United States and spent uh, most of the rest of his life uh, underground in the coal mines. And then his son did as well. And then, and then my dad was told by his dad, whatever you do, don't go fucking underground. And he was actually angry at him when he went to, it was angry, angry at him when he went to, to college to study engineering because the only thing that he could wrap his head around, like what would you engineer would be like a fucking mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, hearing these stories about so the coal miners would have come in with their big like lunch pails and if they if something was not right when they when they got to the mine shaft they'd all walk past the the door and they'd throw their bucket full of water on the ground it's like you're not gonna go down into the mine without a bucket full of water because you're gonna get thirsty you're gonna need to drink if you throw your bucket full of water on the ground then it's your way of saying I'm not going to work. We're going on strike. One person does it and then another person does it and the whole line of people do it, right? So you think of thing, things like that, actions like that, like breaking the weir or putting your hands in your pockets or any number of other things are signals in worker culture of this period of solidarity of, of the strike. And so in a certain way, putting the hands in the pockets could be that. But also in this scene, and I don't remember it the same way. And I don't know, it might've been just because I was extremely prude in that era. And I was trying to like thinking like, well, what, what could it mean that's not this other thing? It's like, surely nobody is as perverse as I am. <laughs> but, but like literally at the end of that scene, they like lay down in the field together. And it's yeah. pretty strongly implied that they're just like laying down in the field together with their hands in their pockets jerking off. <laughs> so as a socialist with his hands in his pockets, 
is that just like a refutation of Catholicism? It's like I, I have power over my own body and I can give myself pleasure and like sticking it to God. <laughs> I mean, that's the other interpretation that I can come up with. I'd have to think about that. I can't believe that we were all, all raised by teachers. That makes a lot of sense. That's um, not surprising, no. No, that's not surprising. That doesn't shock me. Um, and I'm becoming I a just, teacher. You're a teacher. You're, you're in spite of myself. Oh, my God. I thought about being a teacher at one point. <laughs> at one point, too. Probably won't. But I swore for years I wouldn't be a teacher. I've known I've wanted to be a teacher since fifth grade. Wow. You know, my mom says whenever she has um, high school students or, like, kids going off to college ask her about becoming a teacher, she's like, don't. Like, don't don't ruin your life. <laughs> it's better than the coal mines. Right, exactly. <laughs> I have a lot to say, and, I, and my parents have done a lot of good, and I want to follow in their footsteps, and I want to improve the lives of others by educating them. So let's talk about teachers. Let's talk about this character of Anita. The strike is ongoing. They send Almo off on the strike train to go to school and get some food while everybody else starves it out. You know, we then yada yada over the First World War and now he's in the train coming back uh, from uh, demobilization. He meets up with Anita, who's a war refugee. And then they basically become the leaders of the peasants, uh, mm -hmm. and she brings a sort of more, I think, intellectual angle, though we don't see much of it, but she she presumably brings a more intellectual angle to uh, what's going on in terms of the way that they think about socialism, down to them having a community center, and she's teaching people how to read and stuff like that. What do we see in the character of Anita or in these scenes of her teaching uh, the old men how to read? Beyond the school, where I see her intellectual angle, I really liked, I might not be remembering this right, but when she was walking after the barn gets burned down or the school, you know, the, the, school, the schoolhouse upstairs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's walking through the streets with the charred bodies behind her and she's giving this speech. I thought that was a really powerful moment and spoke to her intellect exploited by the landlords, murdered by the fascists. Mm -hmm. Boss ass bitch. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that without being told, we know that she knew this action had to be done and she came up with this slogan. And we see Olmo repeating it, following after her, taking her lead, that she's mm -hmm. the one with the sort of intellectual capacity mm -hmm. and with the organizing smarts to say that this is what we have to do. This is our slogan. We'll keep the message simple and this is how we say it. We'll list their names. We'll say they were exploited by the landlords, murdered by the fascists, and we will drag their bodies out into public and we will, we will make this a thing. That's all her and almost mm -hmm. going along, knowing that it's right, but he's not the one who like came up with it. She's the brains, he's the brawn. Exactly. 
It's probably worth dropping a note in here about the sexual politics of the film. We did talk about sex a little bit in the conversation, but one thing that as I go through these recordings, I'm kind of surprised that we forgot to mention was this scene in which Almo is performing oral sex on Anita. And I do think it is worth mentioning, not least of all, because it is the opposite of a scene we see later on in which the fashion character Atla is having oral sex performed on him as he speaks in very dramatic and high-flown terms about how he's going to have power and revenge on his enemies and so on and so forth. So it is worth noting that in this space of 1970s sort of sexual liberation in films, Bertolucci is using the way that he positions these characters to show that there can be something more egalitarian more, if you will, feminist in leftist politics even back in the day. And even in something so simple as the way that people have sex with each other. I just like how empowered she is, especially in a time um, when feminism wasn't as much of a thing. Um, But in the 70s it was, so that was a bit of like 70s culture, like leaking in there. I think it's also a bit of peasant culture. I think that in a community like that, a woman like her could have more power than you'd see in other levels of society because people would respect women and mothers as as having a certain space. She does get respect within the peasantry for things that, again, are stereotypically nurturing and teaching is one of those things. There are only two people who could be described as intellectuals in this movie. And I put that as a low bar. I mean, I mean like people who read, not like can read though, you know, Leo Dalco cannot read. There's no doubt in my mind about that, right? Olmo maybe can read. I'm not sure if I believe that either. Possibly, Anita probably has, you know, helped him with it. Uh, he went off to socialist schools. So they were probably trying to teach him to read over that summer. So he can probably read, but not very well. But there are two people in this movie who read books, like whole books, read them for fun because they want to expand their mind. And it's Anita and- Ada. Ada, exactly. The women are the intellectual center of this movie. I wouldn't call this a feminist movie, certainly. Oh, <laughs> God, no. <laughs> but, and part of, part of what fascinates me about this movie is that it's engaging with this notion of history as being pushed forward by stupid men, by men who don't read, by men who oh, don't know God. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that to me seems so fucking true. But, but he's aware enough to make, to make the people who actually do read the books women. It's so true that it hurts. So Ada is this sort of obvious foil to Anita, even oh, yeah. down to their names being so similar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's the... She's the romantic, she's the futurist, she's reading poetry and writing some of her own. Uh, And I like that it's bad poetry. I like that it fits just like in the same way that like nobody here is an intellectual juggernaut. 
they're just like muddling through and trying to figure out the world as they live in it. It just brings me back to Alfredo, like, you're such a dick. Is she yeah. the one who calls him a fascist, ultimately? I think so. Yeah. I think that, yeah, she screams fascist to him. He says, I'm not a fascist. Isn't and that in the, the uh, tavern? Yeah, and this, this is just before she, she leaves him. It's a fantastic setup because we see that he's given himself every reason to believe that he's not exactly what he is, that he's not grown into what he was meant to grow into, that he was raised to be the padrone and now he's the padrone. And it's that simple. You can have the best of intentions, but if that doesn't translate to any kind of action, well, then what does it mean? It means nothing except for it's a story you tell yourself in your head to make yourself feel better. And like I said, he walked out of that one meeting. That's like what he had to do to justify to himself that he's not a fascist. Like his dad was a straight up fascist, like a straight up landlord collaborating with the fascists. And this is in a, in a sense, a really great lesson in, well, what did it mean for fascism to come to power in Italy, like on the ground level? Well, you had a lot of people who were in these capitalistic relationships uh, and were really familiar with cutting political deals with who they needed to. You had soldiers coming home. Some of them were workers who went back to that working class, like Olmo. Some of them were people who, you know, had higher ambitions, like Atla. And they end up being in this weird foreman managerial class. And then they end up identifying really strongly as fascists because they believed that what they were doing in the war mattered. Like, they, these are like the jocks who never let go of that last football season they played. Right? And, and it's, oh. that, it's that psychology, but it's like, we saved the country. You didn't save the country, motherfucker. Like, you just, <laughs> like, you just managed to fucking survive. Congrats. That's the distinction between his perspective and Almo's perspective, the perspective of the peasants. Anytime you see in this movie, somebody asks him, well, what are the peasants? So the peasants survive, the peasants starve, or when we don't, we survive. That's like their level of analysis, but it's the right level of analysis. And it's actually the level of analysis that lets you survive a war and not come away with like stupid fucking stories about how your country is so great. Like the, the true story is I survived, other people didn't. That's what's true. No more, no less. I was going to say more about Ada, but I forgot. I brought there up the whole are. film in the first place as saying like, well, what would a, what would a normal ass futurist look like? someone who's not like a famous writer or painter, right? A normal ass futurist in Italy in the, you know, interwar period, say, is just like somebody who's really into cars, maybe has read a few books, is thinking about what the future will be, writes bad poetry. Doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And I call this the Italian Forrest Gump because it's like boiling down the historical span to something that's like idiotically simple, but at the same time, even if you'll, you could bring out every history professor in the world and they'll be like, no, this is not what the countercultural movement was about. But like also people who lived through it, like maybe, maybe it was that stupid to them. Like maybe, maybe futurism isn't like some complex philosophical concept, but it's just like, I don't know, I like cars and write bad poetry. Like maybe fascism isn't like some complex political conspiracy. Maybe it's just like, remember when we fought that battle i really like nice uniforms oh that just sounds so stupid though i don't I, yeah but people will always remember things in different ways and maybe that's the case in that i'm not saying that's all it is i'm not saying that's all history is i'm not saying that's all politics is but i am saying that like on the ground that's what it looks like for a lot of people and that's how they remember it 
Yeah, that's like my uncle saying pre-2016 election during the campaign season. Yeah, Trump has some good ideas. Exactly. You grew up as a farmer. Um, Excuse me, sir. Um, No. Well, it's the same thing that's like, well, I wear this hat and it signifies a thing. Or I judge you based on the fact that you wear a mask. Yeah. What does socialism mm-hmm. mean? Well, I put my hands in my pockets. What the fuck? Like that? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe if it is impossible to interpret, then like that's exactly the point. Ada does a literal fight club bit. Like, I wonder, did like David Fincher steal that from this movie? You weren't teenage boys in the 90s, so you. Sorry. Did not- <laughs> yeah, that's a You probably did not like hit Fight Club like right at the peak moment in your lives. Nope. But uh, there's a bit in Fight Club where the one character closes his eyes and takes his hands off the wheel and just drives the car. And I wonder if David Fincher just stole that straight up from this scene where Ada like goes full futurist and she's like, I am one with the machine. <laughs> uh, Maybe. But then we see we see the uh, the fascists are also really into to machines in a way that's different from Ada. And in Ada, we get that sort of split between the futurists who were very anti-religious, very anti-Catholic, and, and, and the fascists who uh, made, made this uh, deal with the Pope more or less, uh, and this deal with conservatives more generally to, to fit in as a, a reactionary uh, political party. Can we also talk about the drug bit too? Because that was that was good. cocaine. <laughs> and you the horse cocaine. <laughs> well, they named the horse cocaine. Yeah. And 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 uh, Alfredo uh, De Niro as Alfredo is like totally the not cool guy who's way too excited about the cocaine, and it's like just chill, oh yeah, just chill. that would be me. Yeah, chill, <laughs> chill, like. Ada's at least like, oh, okay, well, I, I mean, I'm going to look Well, like she's I obviously know. had experience with it. Right. She, she, she has she or she hasn't. What... Well, we, lo- we learned later that, that she's a virgin, right? I mm-hmm. think that maybe she's just cooler than Alfredo, which is a pretty low bar. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you get what I mean. Like, like she was, was perfectly able to convince the men around her that she was sexually experienced. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, similarly with drugs, we know that she hangs out with Alfredo's uncle, the cool, weird uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe she's just a druggie and that's why she's there. Or maybe she's just a poet and that's why she's there or, you know, whatever. But um, yeah. she's not having sex with him. Nope. Maybe because Poet's he's gay. a loose term. Yeah, I mean, sure, he's, he just it. seems all too eager. Like, oh my gosh, can I have some? <laughs> bubble baby. But isn't that just a burst that bubble? Isn't that just the same guy who's like, oh, you're a socialist? I'm a socialist too. Like, right. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I'm going to try to do what everyone else was doing. I think one lesson that we get from these movies is that hierarchies of capital, hierarchies of tradition force us to put our trust in people who are trained to just like go along with whatever, right? Whether that's like what their parents told them or whether like what the, what the cool kid they're hanging out with is trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. The people with actual character are the people who are trying to get somewhere, or the mm-hmm. people who've been beaten down their whole lives. You have survived another episode of The Boyless Century. Century.
Next time for our concluding comments on Bernardo Bertolucci's Novacento.